Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are finishing up a series called Family Game Night. And the series, what we really try to do is take something practical that you know, um, like a board game, and use that to illustrate the gospel. Because uh, I want you to understand what God is telling us, and I want it to go deep in you. And also what we've been doing during this series is using this series as a way to invite your friends. And we want to give you resources and tools to invite your friends to hear the gospel and, and to hear a message that could change their lives. And so that's what we've been doing throughout the series. And today we're going to look at a game uh, called Trivial Pursuit. And um, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Trivial Pursuit. Um, but I want to give a copy of that game away. And so what we want to do is give it to somebody who brought guests with them today. And so I just want to ask, did anybody bring pe- anybody with you? Maybe you brought a guest who normally does not attend Summit Church. If so, I just would love for you to raise your hand for me. Okay, keep your hand up. It's okay. We got one couple, yeah. Okay, did anybody bring more than one guest? More than one? Okay, we got a competition. Oh, did you, your wife just tell you not to put your hand up? Oh, you only have one? Okay, so we, we have a couple still? Am I missing anybody else? Okay, did, uh, up there? So we have more than one up there too? Okay, do we have two or more? I mean, three or more? I'm sorry, that's what it would be. Okay, still three. Uh, four or more? Do we, have we tied at three? Is that what it is? Three for you? Up in the balcony, Yes. Oh, two, and you have three? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay, so there we go. Hey, thanks for bringing a truckload of people with you. I appreciate it today. Yeah, give them a round of applause. So this is what we're gonna do. We've got a copy of Trivial Pursuit. Um, It's been in my basement for like 12 years, but still, we got a copy for you, so... No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's brand new. It's in the Info Center. So stop by the Info Center after we finish up here and you can pick that up. But thank you for bringing guests with you today. Um, Benjamin Franklin said, we are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. And, and I will tell you, um, whenever I play Trivial Pursuit, I feel stupid. Does anybody else feel stupid when you play Trivial Pursuit? I, I fancy myself as relatively intelligent, and then I play this game and I realize how many things I don't know. Because uh, the game is all about knowing useless knowledge and having useless information stored in your brain. And the object of the game is to make it around the game board by answering the questions that are posed to you. And you get points or you get little pieces for answering the the different kinds of questions and you have to collect them all and get around the board to win. And the different categories are geography, entertainment, history, arts and literature, science and nature, and sports and leisure. Uh, And If you've never played the game before, I want to share a few questions with you today so that you can feel just as stupid as I do. Um, Because I think what we'll see is these questions are harder than we might think they are. But if you know the answer, I'd love for you to shout it out. Even if you've got a guess, feel free to shout it out. We will laugh at you when you do. So so feel free, shout out your answers. Um, Let's see here. Which football coach, so already some of you are like, I got this one. Which football coach of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame was Joe Montana's roommate in college? Anyone? Anyone? I I thought I heard a guess. Did I hear a guess? No? Lou Holtz. No, that's a good guess. It's Charlie Weiss. Come on, people. I thought we were football fans around here. 
Before Hollywood, which New Jersey town was a center for the motion picture industry? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. What, any other guesses? I can't believe you're not getting this one. Fort Lee. Come on. <sighs> I would have never known that. Uh, it's actually right outside New York City, and that is where, um, that's where a lot of motion pictures were made before the industry moved to Hollywood. So it was kind of the Hollywood of the East at the time. Um, this is one that's appropriate for, for Indiana, Pennsylvania. Um, uh, Edison, Thomas Edison, he invented an electric pen that became the inspiration for which modern-day tool? Anyone? No, not an engraver. You're close. Body engraver. Think about it that way. Tattoo pen. So an electric tattoo pen. So thank you to Thomas Edison. Like half the businesses in Indiana are in existence. So thank you. <laughs> We've got vape shops, pizza places, sub shops, and uh, tattoo parlors. I think that's all we have in our town, those four... In major industries. Um, so when we ask these questions, it's easy for us to go, why does anybody need to know that, right? Like this is kind of pointless information because even the word trivial itself means of little value or importance. Synonyms for trivial are meaningless, pointless, worthless, or paltry, which I love that word. You need to use the word paltry today. Um, but what it's saying is trivial pursuit, the meaningless pursuit is what it really is. It's, it's pursuing things that don't really matter. And you, you win the game by knowing things that don't really matter in life. That's how you succeed. And what I know is that the, the life we live is so much more important than the useless knowledge that we have. In Luke chapter 10 Verse 38 through 42, it says this. It says, now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. So as objective observers, if we saw this story unfolding and we said there's one person who's serving and working and helping and she's trying to take care of the situation in the homes and I can imagine, you know, she's getting dinner ready but she's cleaning the dishes while she's getting dinner ready and she's just, she's doing it all. And then you have one person who is seemingly being lazy and sitting at the feet of Jesus and you said, which one of these is doing what they're supposed to be doing? Most of us would probably say the one who's doing all the work. Because the other one just seems to be lazy. Like, what is she doing? She's just sitting there while... And so I understand Martha's perspective. But what we see here is Jesus' response. And he says, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But... But one thing is necessary. And so what he says is what you're doing, while it may be important to you, it's not really important in the grand scheme of things. There's one thing that's unnecessary. There's one thing that's truly important. And Mary is doing the important thing. Mary is doing the thing that's most valuable. What you're doing is trivial. What she's doing is significant. See, Martha was busy, but busyness, even when doing good, is not always what God wants for us. So many of us take great pride in being busy. Oh, my, I'm so busy. I've got so much stuff going on. We, we wear it as a badge of honor that we are so busy. 
But the truth is, sometimes we're busy doing things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of life. We're busy doing trivial things. We're pursuing the wrong things. And so what we have to understand is some pursuits are trivial while others are significant. And the key to life is knowing the difference between these two. Martha thought she was doing an important thing, but she didn't recognize that what she was doing was trivial. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 10, 41, same verse, but we're going to read it from the Passion Translation just to give us a, a different level of understanding. It says, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? You're busy doing all these things, and are these things really that important? You're getting upset, you're getting stressed out, you're worried, you're concerned, you're anxious about all these things. And do these things even really matter? Or maybe you're pursuing the wrong things. Maybe you're pursuing something that's trivial in the grand scheme of life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, starting in verse 1, Paul's writing, this is the second letter to, to Timothy, and he says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. <laughs> that's, that's a hardcore list, isn't it? And when you look at this, it sounds a little bit like the world we live in today. It describes pretty accurately a lot of the things we see in our culture. And of all the things that were mentioned, I think one of the things that bothers me the most is the last line that says, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Because what happens is um, we can look good, we can talk a big game without actually being godly. We can appear godly without being godly. And what he describes is there's all these people can look godly. We can put on a front, put on a show, but at the end of the day, we deny the power of God through the way we live. And he says, for among them are those who creep into households. So he's talking about the, the group he just described. He said, among those are people who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sin, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. So I want, you, I want to help you unpack this. I want to help you understand it. So what Paul is saying is this group of people, they're, they're, they're non-believers, but they appear to be believers. What happens is they're propagating a false gospel. And he says what happens is they will creep into households. So they're not literally like sneaking into households and, and kidnapping women. But what happens is they are preying on women who are seeking knowledge. They want to know the truth. And they're bamboozling them with a false gospel. They're tricking them. And so what this last line says is they're always learning and never able to arrive at the, uh, at the knowledge of truth. And this is so true of the world we live in today. That there are, knowledge is accessible at the touch of our finger. Literally, we can pull out our phone and get any bit of knowledge or information or facts that we want. Um, do you remember before we had cell phones and arguments could go on for a while? Like, they might last weeks, right? Because how are we going to figure this out? But now, if you get an argument with somebody, two seconds after it starts, you, you Google it, right? Well, Google it. That's fine. Google that. Let's see, you know. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine, I should not even tell this story. I'm going to tell it anyway. 
<laughs> a friend of mine uh, who has actually spoken at this church before. Uh, he pastors uh, in, in Western Pennsylvania, and we, I was with him a few weeks ago when we were talking, and we were talking about the situation. He's got a daughter that's about the same age as, as Abby, and he said that she was arguing with him about a, situ- about a class she was taking, and he said, I was cooking, and I was getting dinner ready, and I was helping her study for anatomy and physiology test, and they were talking about different bones in the body, and, um, and she, she said that one of the bones was called the scrotum. And he said, no, it's not. And she said, yes, it is. And he said, Mel, I wasn't even thinking about it. And I said, well, fine, Google it. And (laughs) And he said, before I realized what I did, she goes, oh, my God. So, baby, like slaps the phone out of her hand. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He said, I wasn't even thinking about it. Google is ruining us, right? (laughs) You did not expect to hear that story today, I bet. (laughs) So we can argue about things and we just Google it. We'll figure it out because knowledge is right there, ready for us at a moment's notice. So we value knowledge, but what what happens in our lives is we're always learning, but we never arrive at actual knowledge of the truth. And when we look at the word knowledge here, In the Greek, it's epignosis, and epignosis means precise, correct, or true knowledge based on experience. So there are things that I know because I've read about about them, but there's things that I know because I've walked through them. And experiential knowledge is dramatically different than book knowledge. And so many people have a head knowledge of who God is, but they've never experienced God. And this is what we see uh, Paul is telling Timothy. It's not enough just to know about something. We have to experience it. We have to know through experience who God really is. Albert Einstein said, any fool can know. The point is to understand. I can tell you a lot of things about a lot of different things, but I'm telling you, um, I can't pull an engine out of a vehicle and rebuild it. I've never done that before. I've never experienced that. I can give you some facts about engines and how they work, but I've never experienced that before. I've got three women in my home. I know a lot about women, but I've never been a woman and probably won't be, by the way, just want to let you know. (laughs) So I've never experienced that. I can give you some facts, but I don't know because I've never, does that make sense to anybody? And so there's a difference between knowing a lot about God and walking with God and experiencing his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And what Paul says is, it's not enough just to know about him. We have to know him truly, deeply. That is what this is about. We live in a world that says that all thought and pursuits and truth are equally valid, but this is just not facts at all. You've got your truth and I've got my truth, and that is not the case. There is one Objectable, objective truth, and that's Jesus' truth. It's the word of God, and that's it. So when we all have our own truths, what we have to understand is we don't really know God. We're not walking with him. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 is where we'll start. Before this, leading up to it, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he basically says, hey, there's a lot of people in the world that are pursuing riches and wealth and money because they think that's the answer to their life. Again, that kind of sounds like the world we live in today. And he said, that is not the answer. In verse 11, he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life in which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
He says, hey, you don't live, you don't think like the world thinks. You don't pursue the things that the world is pursuing because the world is pursuing a bigger house and the nicer car and the bigger salary and the corner office. And they are pursuing those kind of things. And that is not how citizens of the kingdom of heaven think. That's not what we pursue. That's just not what we do. He says, this is what you need to do if, O man of God. And he identifies him and says, if you are a godly man, this is the things you need to pursue. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. These are the things that we need to be pursuing instead of the things that the world seems to be pursuing. Over and over in the epistles, we see Paul say, seek peace and pursue it. We see that several times in his letters. And I love this because he says, seek peace and pursue it. Uh, my daughters, um, and your daughters probably, or your kids are, might be similar if you've got kids. Uh, I will say, Abby will say, hey, daddy, I can't find my book. And I said, well, did you look for your book? Yeah, I looked everywhere. And what she means is I opened up the door to my room and I looked <laughs> everywhere. Nope, can't see it. I did a visual scan. It's not there. And I, baby, did you, but did you really look? I looked everywhere. And I'll walk into the room and I'll like pick up and I'll, here it is. Oh, I didn't see it. And I'm like, yeah, because you didn't look, right? And what Paul says is, seek peace and pursue it. So he says, you, you don't just do a visual scan and go, well, I don't see peace anywhere. I guess I don't have peace for my life. But he says, you go chase it down. You go find it. I think Paul would probably say the same things about the other things that he was talking about with Timothy. You seek righteousness and pursue it. You seek godliness and pursue it. You seek faith and pursue it. You seek love and pursue it. You seek steadfastness and pursue it. You seek gentleness and pursue it. And this is a place where I want to be real careful when we preach messages like this, never to say, okay, go seek peace this week. And you're like, yeah, I need more peace. I'm going to seek peace. And then tomorrow morning you go to work and uh, you get to work and the, your boss who's constantly stealing your peace, you're like, I'm supposed to pursue peace. I don't even know what that means. Like, I want to kill my boss. How do I have peace, right? So practically speaking, what does that look like? And this is what it looks like. Um, if I ask you to pursue peace, what I'm really asking you to do is to pursue the one who provides peace. If I ask you to, to pursue faithfulness, what I'm really asking you to do is to pursue the one who is the source of all faithfulness. If I'm asking you to pursue joy, what I'm really asking you to do is, is pursue the one who is the source of all joy. So what I want for you, and it sounds like such a thing that pastor would say from the stage, is if we're going to seek these things, if we're going to pursue the right thing, the significant thing, what we're really pursuing is not these, these objects that God provides, but we're seeking God. We're not seeking the things that he gives us, we're seeking God himself. We're saying, God, uh, I'm not just going to look for you, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to hunt you down, I'm going to find you, God, I'm going to chase after you with everything I am, because I want what you've got, but more than what... More than I want peace, I want the person who provides the peace, the Prince of Peace. That's what we should be pursuing today. That's what we should be going after. See, we want all the stuff, but we need to pursue the source of those things. In First Peter, Peter says this, First Peter 4, 8, he's kind of getting to the end of his letter, and he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So this is... I may say it this way. I may say, if you don't remember anything from today, remember, and then I give you the big idea. And, and what Peter is saying is, above all, with everything I've said, remember this. Love, 
others earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Some of you know this, but uh, I am not the most dynamic preacher in the United States. Do you know who thinks I am the most dynamic preacher in the United States? My mom. She thinks I'm wonderful. She has never criticized me at the end of a message and, Mel, you didn't exegete this scripture very well. And what did you mean by that? You know, when you transition between points, that didn't make a lot of sense. Like, she doesn't do that. You know what she says? Oh, baby, you were so good today. Oh, you did so good. I'm, oh, I'm so proud of you. That's what my mom will say. Because my mom can't look at me objectively because she loves me. Because she loves me, it covers a multitude of sins. Does that mean she can't get upset with me? Absolutely not. But what it means is she looks at me differently than somebody who's being critical does. Um, there are people in this room, maybe you don't look at me the same way my mom does, but you understand if I'm preaching the word of God to you, that there I'm going to have good days and bad days. And there are some of you in this room that I've spent some time with you, or I've walked with you, or I've pastored you, or shepherded you, and you can give me some grace and, and understand that maybe you're, I'm not as good a preacher as some of the preachers nationally throughout the United States, but you go, but you know what? I know he's my pastor. I know he loves me. I know he's been there with my family. I know he's helped, you know? And so you go, I'm going to extend some grace because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, it's one thing for me to tell you to do that with your pastor. It's another thing for me to tell you that, that you need to be doing that with the people around you as well. The boss at work who takes your peace. What if you chose to love them instead because love covers a multitude of sins? We love earnestly. We love even when it's hard. We love when it's difficult. We love when we don't feel like it. Keep loving one another. So what is, what is he saying? He says, pursue love. Make this a priority because love covers a multitude of sins. This is what's going to allow us to continue to share a godly witness with people, to help them see that God is alive in us. When we love them, it covers a multitude of sins. And this isn't the only place we see talk about love. I mean, it's all throughout the New Testament. It's all throughout Scripture. But let me look at Matthew 22 with you today. This is from the New Living Translation in verse 36. Jesus is approached, and, he, and he's asked this question, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And this word important here, the most important here, the, the, the Greek word for this is megas, and, and this is where we get the word mega, it's big. And really what it means is any way we measure it, it's imposing, it's large, it's, it's weighty, it's massive. This word is actually used, megas is used to describe volume as far as the, the measuring sound. And so what it, it means is if there was a loud shout, it was a megas shout is what it's saying. And so it's just basically any way we can measure it. And so what this teacher of the law is saying to him is, hey, which is the biggest, which is the command that you cannot avoid, that you have to see, which is the one that is the most important, the, the biggest when it comes to the kingdom. And Jesus knows that he's trying to trick him. He's smart like that. And so Jesus replied in verse 37, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I love this so much because Jesus takes scripture. He is, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which in Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, uh, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and your might. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, here's the greatest and first commandment. And I love it because he uses that word megas. He says the greatest, the biggest is this one. It's Deuteronomy 6, 5. But it's not just the biggest, it's also the first. It's the primary is what he's saying. So this is the first one on the list. It's the first one that we should see. It's the first one that we should pay attention to. It is the primary and it is the biggest is what he's saying. So what does he say? He says, love the Lord God with all your heart 
And the word for heart is cardia. Uh, if you've ever been to a cardiologist, you know it's your heart doctor. And if, if your heart stops beating, your physical body will die. And what we see here is the heart is the center and the core of our spiritual life, the seat of our spiritual life. And if, if our heart is not healthy, then we will die. And so Jesus says, love God with your whole heart, with the core of who you are. The center of your spiritual life should revolve around God. Then he says, with all your soul. And your soul, this is the seat of your feelings, your emotions, your desires, your affections, and even your aversions. This is... Um, when you get in a conflict with somebody and they hurt your pride and that, that feeling that you go, oh yeah, like you want to fight, like bring it on, like that feeling in you, those are your emotions, this is part of your soul. The, the feeling you get when you watch a movie and you feel sympathetic and maybe you get a little teary-eyed, that's part of your soul. The, the, the love, the lovey-dovey feeling you have and, you're like, <laughs> and you feel the butterflies. That's part of your soul. And so what Jesus says is, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And your mind is your understanding and your thoughts. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, let me make it really clear that the most important, the biggest and primary law is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Literally every part of who you are should love God. He should be your primary affection, your first affection. He should be um, what your thoughts, what your emotions, what your heart all bring glory to. Point back to him. And this is easy to say in a church, and it's another thing to live it out. It's another thing to prioritize him in our lives in such a way that everything in our life revolves around him. Let, let me go on, and I'll come back to this thought again. This is what he says in verse 39. A second is equally important. <laughs> I want you to catch that for a second. This is somewhat ironic to me when Jesus says a second is equally important because he just got done saying one, this one, it's the first and it's the biggest, right? And then he says, and this one is equal to the first and biggest. Um, have, have you ever met somebody and they're like, yeah, I've got three best friends. How can you have three best friends? You have a best friend. Like best means best, right? Like one, right? Has anybody ever thought about this before? I've had this conversation with my daughters. I'm like, oh, I've got four best friends. I'm like, no, you don't. You've got four friends, but one of them is your best friend. No, I've got four best friends. It's like, you're bad at math, right? <laughs> you don't understand the linguistics of this. There's one best. And I can imagine the teachers of the law, they hear Jesus say, and a second is equal. They're like, wait a second. How can a second be equal? But the way the second is equal is because they overlap. So he says this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. So the law of the prophets in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. 613 thou shalt and thou shalt not. This is what they lived their life by as a, as a Jewish person in the Old Testament. Um, they lived their life according to the 613 laws. And this was a weight that no one could carry. No one could keep 613 laws. And so what Jesus was trying to help them understand is this. Your focus should not be on keeping the law. Your focus should be on relationship. Because if your focus is on pursuing God and making him the center of your life, the law will fall into place. The law will begin to take care of itself. See, we focus so much on not breaking the rules that we 
fail to pay attention to having a relationship with Christ. But what God says is, no, 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 seek me, chase after me, make me primary in your life, and all the laws will begin to fall into place. Um, I don't know if you'll identify with this. I used to have a sickness where I felt like every time I went anywhere in a vehicle, I wanted to see if I could break my personal record. <laughs> so if we're going on a trip, I knew like, okay, it takes us four hours to get there. I wonder if I get there in 345. And I always wanted to have my best time. I don't know what, it's a, it was a sickness. Does anybody relate to that at all? You're like, it takes me seven minutes to get to work. I can make it in six and a half. Like, and it's just something, I don't know what it is. And I got, I was getting tickets pretty regularly for a while. I was meeting lots of police officers and state troopers. And, and so uh, a few years before we moved here, I just decided I can't afford this anymore. Like this is bad stewardship if for me to give $250 donations to the local police force. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, and so I just started obeying the speed limits more regularly. And again, I will speed from time to time. But um, I just said, it's not worth it. I can't do it. And, um, and so I started driving the speed limit. And you know what happened? Is It's crazy. I didn't freak out when I saw police anymore. Did you know that? Because <laughs> when you're going 85 and at 55 and you see a state trooper, your heart stops. You, like, you want to die. Oh, no. Like, and the kids are in the back going, oh, my neck hurts. And you're like... It's okay, we believe in healing, right? Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> but it's amazing when you drive the speed limit, when you go, hey, I'm gonna be submitted to authority and I'm just gonna trust that I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to do this. It's amazing that I wasn't worried about the law anymore. It's amazing that I wasn't looking for police officers at every speed trap and on-ramp. And so when I saw police officers, I was like, hey, there's police. It wasn't like, hey, there's the police, right? This is what happens when we pursue God first, when we say, God, you're going to be my highest affection. God, everything in my life, um, my heart, my soul, my strength, everything I am, my mind, it's all yours, God. That you are the center of my universe. It's amazing how the law falls into place, the rules fall into place. And what Jesus says is, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And this is what I want you to understand. I cannot be in healthy relationship with God if I have conflict with the people around me. If there's drama in relationships in my life, I can tell you that I love God, but I'm lying to you. And I cannot be in healthy relationships with others if I'm not in healthy relationship with God. It just doesn't work. These two things overlap. That They are connected to each other, and I want you to know something. The person that you're in conflict with is loved by God desperately. The person that you're in conflict with, Jesus died for that person. Jesus loves that person just as much as he loves you. So when we're in conflict with God's kids, we're in conflict with God. And, and what we have to understand is when I'm in healthy relationship with others, it helps me be in healthy relationship with God. When I'm in a healthy relationship with God, it allows me and helps me to be in healthy relationship with others because I love them well, I love them earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. David is one of my favorite people in Scripture who had a heart after, he was a man after God's own heart. Uh, he famously broke the rules. He committed adultery and he killed the woman's husband to cover up his own sin. But yet, we see in Psalm 119, he says, I love the law of the Lord. How can this be? I mean, this is a guy who was a sinner, right? 
So loving the Lord doesn't mean we'll never mess up. What it means, though, is that he will continue to be our center. He'll continue to be our focus. And when we love God primarily, we can love his law. Because we understand that his law is not a restriction. It actually frees us. And so David can say, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it daily because his affection for God. So, so let me come back to the story of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, um, he says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? This is all the prophets and the laws. He says, if you just do this, if you just love God well, if you just love people well, what that means is all the 613 laws will take care of themselves because most of the law has to do with how we relate to God and how we relate to others. So who, who is your neighbor? Because he says, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> so who is your neighbor? Some of you are like, um, hey, I've got a big property. I can't even see my neighbor's house, so I'm good with that. Like, I don't mind loving my neighbor because I never see my neighbor. And I've got bad news for you. This is not talking about the person you share a property line with. It's actually talking about any other person. So the literal definition of this word in the Greek means where two are concerned, the other. <laughs> I love that definition. It's very black and white. It means if you are a human being and there's another human being, that is your neighbor. So literally speaking, your enemy is your neighbor. God's expectation is, Jesus said this, that the, the greatest command is, you're going to love God, but you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do that? We can't do that if we don't make God primary, if we don't make him first. We cannot love the person who's out to get us, who hates us, who, who wants to see us fail. We cannot. We're incapable of that. Luke chapter 12, verse 22, I want to share this with you briefly. This is kind of mirrored, it's mirrored in Matthew 6, 25, but he says this, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And I feel convinced if Jesus would have ever had peanut butter oil swirl, he wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm kidding. So what Jesus says is, hey, you get focused on all the stuff that doesn't really matter, what you eat, what you wear, what you drive, where you live, all these kind of things. But life is more of this. He talks about how um, the nature is clothed by God. God takes care of nature. And if God takes care of nature, he's going to take care of you. So he says in verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things, but your Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. He says, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What he says is, if you seek the kingdom of God, then all the things you think you need are going to fall into place. But the problem is we fall into this trap of seeking the things that the world seeks. We get into this trap of our trivial pursuits. We think it's so important for us to drive the right car, to have the right house, to, to sit at the right table, to be friends with the right people. And what God says is, at the end of the day, none of that stuff matters. Seek my kingdom is what he says. In Matthew 6, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what God says is, your primary pursuit should be my kingdom. The thing that you go after more than any other thing should be me, is what he says. See, trivial pursuit rewards a person for knowing things that don't really matter. 
But God rewards a person for knowing what is significant, namely his kingdom and pursuing that. I think if Jesus was manifest physically here today, the same question he asked Martha, I think he could ask us. I think he'd look you in the eye and I think he would say, well, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by these many distractions? Are they really that important? What are you pursuing today? What are the things that you have deemed as valuable and as important that if, if we were to weigh those on a cosmic scale in light of eternity, we would realize are, are pretty trivial? What are the things that we have dedicated our lives to, dedicated our money to, dedicated our affections toward that we realize maybe in God's plan aren't that important? And what are the things that maybe God would have us value as important that maybe we've trivialized? I think God wants to, to shake up your kingdom today. I think he wants to help you view some things differently today to understand that, that maybe just because we seem godly, we're not as godly as we think we are because we haven't prioritized his kingdom. We've prioritized our kingdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you that today we can come together, we can worship you, and Lord, I pray today for those that are here that maybe they've walked into this place and they recognize that today they, they don't really know you. They're not really in relationship with you. Maybe they know a lot of facts about you, but they're not in experiential relationship, knowledge of who you are. And God, I pray that today that would change. Lord, I pray today we would experience your goodness, your grace, your mercy. And I pray that we would be drawn to that. Lord, I pray for those that are here that maybe are believers, but they've been prioritizing the wrong kingdom. They've been prioritizing things that really aren't that important, that ultimately are trivial. I pray today we would prioritize you, that we would put your kingdom above our kingdom, that we would put you above all else, that you would be the center of our affection from our heart, our soul, and our mind, that everything in us would love you well. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would help us love others well. Because, Lord, it is not easy to love your people. So, God, help us love others well as we love ourselves. So, God, I pray you have your way with us over these next few moments. Be glorified here. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you today, if you're here and you recognize, Mel, today I recognize that I'm not really a follower of God. Maybe I... I seem godly, but I don't really have a knowledge of truth like you described earlier. I'm not walking with him. I've never made Jesus really Lord of my life, but today I want to. I want to make his kingdom first. I want to stop chasing after trivial things. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you. So if you're here today and you can say, Mel, that's me. I acknowledge that. I need Jesus. I need to make him first. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. I just want to agree with you in prayer today. So if that's you and you say, Mel, pray for me. I want to make Jesus first in my life. I want to make him Lord. Yeah, thank you. On my right, I see you. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel? I want to join, join those that are raising their hands and say, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to make him first. Yeah, thank you. On my right, I see you. Praise God. Yeah, thank you. On my left. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, pray for me, Mel? Today's my day. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much 
that you gave your son, Jesus, to die in my place on the cross. From this day forward, I choose to pursue you. Help me love you well and help me love others well. And help me never go back to my old life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. For those of you that prayed that prayer with us today and you meant it, the word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. So we believe that's what's happened today. If you believe that, you prayed it with your mouth and you believed it in your heart, you're a new creation today. And we want to help you take the next step and grow in your faith. So if you prayed that with us, take a minute and take the card out of the seat back in front of you. Fill it out. On one side it says need prayer and the other side it says salvation. Let us know about your decision by taking that to the info center when we finish here in just a minute. They're going to give you a free gift, a Bible, just to help you on your journey. Uh, they're also going to give you some resources. You're going to get a letter, an email from me this week, just telling you about some next steps, some things you can do, ways you can get involved. And if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us today, we're so excited for you. We want to help you as well. So we'd love to help you find a church in your area that you can begin to grow in your faith. And if you'll text us, you can simply respond by texting the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to help you find a church in your area. We're going to help you connect to that church, begin to grow in your faith. So thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Here's what's going to happen right now. Uh, the worship team's going to lead us in one final song. We're going to worship the Lord together. While we're doing that, our prayer team's going to come up and they'll be on either side of the stage and they'll be by the columns. If you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, as we begin to sing, Feel free, step out from your seat, find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, uh, Steph McCoy is our missions and outreach pastor here at Summit, and she's going to come and she will uh, close this out. But one of the things she's going to do, uh, she's going to introduce a ministry partner to you that uh, is ministering in a sensitive part of the world. And so if you're watching right now online, we're going to cut the live stream in just a few minutes. We want to let you know about that uh, because we want to keep them safe. Uh, but we would love for you to stick around and hear a little bit about what God is doing in their ministry uh, halfway around the world. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you guys often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.